0: Hi, Silvana. Welcome to Network Capital. In this podcast, we try and understand why leaders do what they do. You had a particularly interesting career from law to deep tech, and we are excited to dive deep into it.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, of course, for having me. It's,
0: it's, uh, a, it's a great pleasure being here. <laughs> Thank you, Silvana. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do today?
1: Yes, uh, so, uh, today I am the CEO of the Blockchain Challenge. So the Blockchain Challenge is a startup that, uh, was a result of my year at MIT. Um, I, I, I'll dwell into that a little bit later. Uh, so, what we're building is a global online community on blockchain enthusiasts and developers. And the cool thing about this, it's it's not only directed to coders and developers, which is a common misconception, but the whole idea is to make blockchain uh, development skills uh, available for everyone. So, yeah, that's,
0: the, that's like the 15-second uh, pitch of, of the startup. That sounds exciting. So tell us about how uh, you started your career and how did you pivot to deep tech? I believe you started as a lawyer, right?
1: Yes, uh, the funny thing is that although uh, I'm attorney by training, yes, I went to law school in Colombia, in Bogota, Colombia, uh, I was always into science because uh, I've always been practicing as an intellectual property attorney. And uh, moreover, I became uh, a patent attorney. So I was uh, in charge of patent applications, that were focused on pharmaceuticals, biotechnology. So in a way, I w- I've always been linked into science and, and, you know, it's been a personal interest of me. I've, I, I, I like to think of myself as, as a frustrated doctor. I've always wanted to study medicine. I, I don't know why I didn't pursue it, but you know, it's a, it's a way of reivindicate myself into that uh, frustration. So yes, I've always been into science. So the, so the pivoting into deep tech was not so, uh, you know, so, such a strange concept to me. Uh, when I decided to go into MIT, I knew it was a challenge, uh, me being a, an attorney, not having an engineer background, but, uh, it's so well focused, the, 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 uh, the masters that
0: it's not hard to make that pivot in your career. So let's try and understand why you decided to go to MIT. Could you talk me through the thought process that led you there?
1: Yes. So I've always been into, as I mentioned, I've always been into science and innovation. Part of what I was working on, I was the the head of the patent department of a multinational Intellectual property consultancy company and one of the things I was leading were also innovation processes for universities and for companies So I wanted to take you know all my practice a step further. I knew I had to build more tools into it I knew I I wanted to put some uh, more to formalize some of the knowledge I had and you know complement it so MIT I, I wanted to go to business school but I, I didn't want to go to any business school I wanted to go to one that was very much focused in innovation and MIT seemed like the proper um, offering for that because you know it's more than a business school it you can focus a lot, you know, having all the environment and all the resources that MIT is worldwide known for. Uh, it was a great advantage uh, and it made all the sense in the world to pick that MBA because I was able to to focus it into innovation management, which was what my, my primary
0: goal. And uh, to get into MIT, you must have thought through the kind of career pivot that you wanted to make. So when you wrote your application, uh, what was your goal? What was the kind of vision that you uh, painted for your own self? And did you, um, did you follow through if you were to look back and see? Uh, yes.
1: Uh, actually, you know, there's a, a nice duality to it because in a sense, I knew what my goal was, and uh, and so I I wrote that on the application. Uh, uh, It was basically what I was mentioning before, that I wanted to take my innovation management skills uh, uh, a level further. Uh, But also, at the same time, and I also wrote this in my application, I, in a way, wanted to reset myself because... I've always thought, and I was not mist- mistaken on this, that you have to go to MIT with an open mind, else you were gonna waste uh, all the opportunities there. So, in a way, I had my goals, but also I I came with an open mind and see, you know, where life was gonna take me afterwards. For example, I, I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I thought, you know that after my year at MIT, I was probably going to find a job and kind of on the same line of what I was doing, Uh, but, you know, this is the part that, which I refer, I was having an open mind, I, 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 I allowed myself to explore other skills, other capabilities, and it turns out to be that entrepreneurship was one of them, and I'm really glad I went through
0: this path. And what did you do um, during MIT? Like what was uh, the one or two years that you spent there? How did you s- s- when go about exploring different paths, and how did you narrow down on what you wanted to do right after? Well,
1: I, th- I think one of the most valuable uh, things at MIT and the most valuable assets actually is the people itself. Um so I talk to a lot of people, uh, diversity is something that is really, it, you, you come to learn the value of diversity there, because you get to talk to people, see what they were doing, how they wanted to focus afterwards, and it's a very fertile environment for you to explore different paths. Um you learn what you want or do not want to do. So I guess one of the, my biggest takes of uh, the, uh, the the year at MIT was the people and talking to them. I mean, of course, the classes were amazing. Uh, you know, you, you, the good thing is that you can shape up uh, the program as you wish. I was very much focused into innovation. I took a couple of innovation classes and entrepreneurship and... Uh, also, I did uh, the sustainability certificate, which allowed me to work one month uh, at a New York-based company, which is called West Elm. It's very well known in the U.S. It's uh, for interior designs and decoration. And we had to come up with a sustainability program for recycling rocks. So, you know, it was a a way to challenge myself and do something I've never done before and explore a subject that I've never been to before, which is sustainability. And I was like, yeah, it's it's good to have an open mind and to force myself to explore and do things I've never done before. So that's what I was always looking for at MIT, do things and take classes that I never thought I would take uh, before. So that was a great, uh, you know, that was a great outcome of, of my
0: year there. So challenging yourself uh, academically and taking up experiences that you hadn't uh, done before, but following a hypothesis, like something that you were always interested in, which is innovation. Yes. So exactly. what happened after? Once you graduated, what did you do?
1: yeah so after I graduated I, I collaborated with a couple of friends on their startup uh, and then I, I you know the blockchain uh, theme was starting to pick up a lot on Boston actually Boston is one of the Boston wants to be known as the blockchain capital of the world so so even more than MIT, there's a huge ecosystem and innovation there. So after my year at MIT, I decided to explore that ecosystem. And uh, my co-founder was going to MIT also at that time. And we started some conversations on blockchain. And we wanted, and, and, and so we explored the ecosystem on Kendall Square, which is like uh, Boston's Silicon Valley. And uh, we were always looking for use cases on blockchain. And we hardly found some other than cryptocurrency. So that's when the questions start arising. Like, where are the use cases on blockchain? And uh, how about if we later uh, start to build some? So that, so we began kind of uh, exploring the idea. I explored the ecosystem a lot. Uh, because it's, there's not only MIT, you also have Harvard. You have, you have amazing universities and amazing resources overall in the Boston uh, entrepreneurial environment to explore. So I, I dedicated to do that after my year at MIT.
0: It's so important, right? The ecosystem that's um, just in the backyard, the universities, the streets, the kind of mentorship that's available. So Yes, uh,
1: it's really inspiring. And, uh, you know, just uh, I want to be clear on something. Like, I could have taken a job, like, right away. And that would have be, been definitely the, the the easier path. But, uh, but I, I, I didn't feel comfortable in doing that because, you know, after coming from MIT and resetting my mind in so different ways, I didn't want to throw it all away by just going back to my status quo. I, I, I wanted to do really different things.
0: That's one of the goals of an MBA, right? If you want to try something new, explore and immerse yourself in a different setting, uh, it's the right time to do it. So it's I'd like to hear how, um, how precisely did this company that you're heading right now, what were the early days like? What were some initial challenges that you faced and uh, how did you overcome them?
1: <laughs> so I think we're still, I mean, we've been around formally for uh, a year and a half and uh, I think we're still on our early days and still facing uh, one of the challenges, <laughs> so yeah, I have a lot to say about that, um, but mainly, I guess one of the biggest challenges is, it's not even financial or, you know, or things of the sort, but rather landing the business model and the idea, because one of the mistakes that I make, and I guess every entrepreneur makes, is Narrowing the activity, the the, you know the the activity that you want your startup to focus on, and that's that requires lots of discipline and lots of iteration and lots of great communication with your co-founders. So the first challenges, I guess, in the first early days is to be able to narrow down your idea or your business model, but also at the same time have the the flexibility to pivot your idea and to adequate it to, you know, while being loyal to your initial uh, mission, uh, also adequate it to the actual needs of the market, like to find a problem that really exists and build your solution around it. I think that's stage one of difficulties. And then stage two is uh, then coming up with uh you know uh, pilots, uh proof of works, proof of concepts, and test your idea. And you have to be really accurate to do that and really focused. Uh, and the third I would guess, which is very obvious, is to find in the, the correct funding to do it. Um, you do have lots of resources in the US. Uh, I think countries countries like in Latin America, countries like in Asia, we share the same difficulties in having access uh, to these type of resources. So that's a thing that we definitely have to to, to work on and, and make our countries conscious of and, and improve a lot.
0: So have you raised funds for your company?
1: Not yet, because actually I'm going to start the formal process of fundraising right now uh my co-founder and I we took the, we made the personal decision of bootstrapping. and uh, because uh, the way we conducted the pilots, we had sponsorships, we had other ways to found it to found to found those pilots. and but now, since we already built the business model, we have a proven concept that works, now we need to execute it and start building more on the tech, which means we have to invest on the tech. So now it's the proper time to start funding. And that's what, uh, how we're going to be focusing on this first semester.
0: So how did you narrow down on the problem? And what's the problem and business model that you discovered for yourself? Well,
1: actually, the, the problem is that there's going to be, there are, there's a scarcity on blockchain uh, capabilities and on use cases. And what we're trying to fill in is those uh, capabilities on the market, on blockchain technology, on blockchain skills, because there are none. And we want to build those uh, capabilities on the development of blockchain solutions based on real-life use cases, which means we also want to implement uh, blockchain technology on a real basis. Uh, so that's, that's, that's one of the most, uh, pressing challenges that we have at the moment. So the problem is there is no, uh, it's hard to find blockchain skills out there in the market. And, uh, the solutions is we want to provide those blockchain skills, so that talent that we know it's out there. And it's not, and by that, I don't mean people that already know on blockchain, but it could be even someone that doesn't have a, a background on systems engineering or coding. But we can also talk about doctors, lawyers, um, sociologists, and different types of disciplines. Because for achieving true blockchain implementation, you do need uh, interdisciplinary skills for that, for people to be able to provide a whole Uh, perspective on the blockchain solution building and
0: implementation. That's so important. I mean, you've covered a critical point of essentially introducing intersectionality and multidisciplinary uh, knowledge uh, upskilling in a way. Uh, How are you going to make money?
1: That's a great question. I mean, so we have uh, three different uh, parties uh, that uh, are participating in our So, on the one hand, we have uh, the members of the community, which is the people that get on board through the hackathons or through the workshops that we provide online. And on the other hand, you have companies that either want to implement blockchain solutions, want to build blockchain solutions or solve a particular technical problem. And then you have, on the other hand, you have... Uh, blockchain uh, technology platforms, which they build, you know, the blockchain technology, and they need use cases and people to implement and test and tune their technology. So while it's a a free-based model for the users, for the members of the communities, companies and blockchain technology platforms do have to pay either, either by sponsorship or license to be on board and to have access to the use cases and to the the talent that's
0: out there. Got it. You know, just uh, as a thought experiment, what's your five-year vision like? Where do you see your company going in five years?
1: Oh, that's a a great question. I mean, uh, and you know, I can answer it, but uh, again, it has always the possibility of pivoting. <laughs> because of course, I want to be flexible always. But the way I see it, I, I want this to be, I don't know if the right term would be an incubator or a, 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 a blockchain accelerator. You know, uh, I want this to be a digital marketplace when you can find all sorts of talent and people connect in different parts of the world and build really high level interactions for them you know, uh, so they can do peer-to-peer reviewing. Even startups can come as a a result of this peer-to-peer interaction. So I want this to be a really solid community around the world and diverse community. And and I I, I, I haven't gotten even into the gender equality issue yet, but I want this to be a community (laughs) (laughs) to have access for... Yeah, I'm going to be referring to that in a few minutes. Uh, I want this to be a really, you know, a a really strong community for the people out there that only have a computer and the will to learn. I want this to be be available for everyone that's interested in acquiring this, in making part of the future of work, which is learning and, and working through platforms. And uh, yes, in terms of gender equality, um, one of the things we noticed in the first pilots that we launched is that the participation of women was some, somewhere b- between 14, 10, and even sometimes 7%, which is a very, very low number. And being my co founder and I, both females, uh, Latin American females, um, we wanted to increase the, the, the presence of women here. So we actually, the last Pilot that we launched was directed, uh, not exclusive, but intentionally directed to women. And we had over 280 participants, uh, female participants in our hackathon, which made up for 88 participations. So there is interest. There's definitely all the capabilities out there. And we want this to be a platform that will also help empower women and that will bring a a very safe and collaborative environment, encourage a collaborative environment of men and women working together in in building these new technologies. So yes, we're putting an additional effort to definitely bring women on board, because we need to. We need this to be an instrument for for achieving gender equality uh, on, on learning and implementing and building new technologies.
0: I think uh, you said it perfectly. I read somewhere that today, uh, if you look at the blockchain developers, there are only about five uh, percent uh, are women, and we really need not just developers, but the entire blockchain ecosystem to you know be close to 50, 50. So are there some things that you've observed uh, that work well in attracting more women to the blockchain ecosystem? What have you seen that works? What doesn't work?
1: Well, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm still exploring, and I wish I would have a complete answer to that question, which is what we're trying to find out. But I guess the first thing that comes into my mind is that I think women need to feel safe and confident in an environment, that they will be listened to and that their ideas will be fully uh, taken into account without patronizing or being condescending of any sort. And that's one of the mistakes that some affirmative actions make. To my opinion, so what I, my my our real effort is headed towards, you know, creating an environment in which there's none of that, in which women's ideas are fully respected and listened to because they are valuable, not because they're women. Um, but but you have to make people conscious on that. So, what works is providing the safest environment. How? That's one of the things that we're trying to build as we go. Um, uh, but definitely exclusion uh, and by this I, I mean putting men aside it's not the solution on my honest opinion because then you're just creating an artificial environment the world is not like that we have to achieve a world equality means both of us uh and all genders available having the same opportunities in the same environment and that's what we want to achieve so for me exclusion of either side is just as wrong um We definitely uh, want and need men into the mix, but in a safe environment. And what's a safe environment? That's what we're trying to build as we go, to give you an honest answer. I I don't have all the uh, factors, all the uh, variables for that,
0: but definitely that's something we're finding out as we go. Absolutely. Talent is equally distributed, but opportunities are not. And uh, I'm glad that you're trying to address it in your own way. Uh, what's your view on the role of uh, mentorship in, in creating a more level playing field? How have some mentors shaped your career? And what advice do you have for uh, young professionals, both men and women trying in trying to break, break into the blockchain ecosystem or deep tech at large?
1: Deep tech at large. So one of the things, yes, I've had different type of mentors. I've had, uh, you know, my, some of my professors at MIT, I mean, Classes are MIT are good for a reason. Uh, you really have great teachers there. And once you go, you go back to the materials and to the readings again, you get even more value of what you learned. So I haven't, in a way, I haven't stopped studying at MIT. Actually, I, I took um, some additional classes last winter at, uh, uh, at MIT and y- you can continue doing that. So I haven't stopped learning. I haven't, in a way, stopped going to MIT. I'm still learning from that. So professors are a great source of mentorship and because you can go back and ask and share with them and and I'll give you feedback. Also, uh, I've personally, I have some personal access to some VCs in Silicon Valley and their mentorship has been uh, amazing. Uh, They have been, you know, um, they have been wonderful in sharing and being generous uh, with their time and, and knowledge. They give you honest feedback, um, and their feedback has always been, like, you have to focus and narrow down your business model a bit more. Then you can expand, but you have to focus, focus, focus. That has been their biggest, um, <laughs> I think, that the biggest input they have given me. And um, my advice to, to, you know, the coming entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs, Uh, moreover in new technologies is do not be afraid to explore and to launch your pilots. I would say launch, launch, launch without fear. And, you know, however you want to run the pilots, do it, but just do it and always try to aim for implementations of the new technologies, like try to land it into real and solid implementation because you have to prove that that technology works under a certain uh circumstance or context so i would say launch without any fear and try and try out and iterate with one another uh, for startups out there i would say you know there are some startups that are being you know founded by one person i would highly encourage to have you know at least another co-founder and it's always really valuable to iterate your idea uh, once again, once again, once again, like my co-founder and I do that all the time. In fact, that's the homework that we have uh, later today. <laughs> We're going to go through iteration number, I don't know, 1,000. So um, always keep <laughs>
0: iterating your idea. No, that's really well put. Uh, let's explore the aspect of uh, funding VC and a, a great degree, uh, say, business like you have. Do you think, uh, what can uh, what can VCs do to make it more accessible for uh, women and minorities to access the available funding? Have you explored the space? What's your takeaway from the process of trying to fundraise, if at all? Uh, what advice have you got?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I came to an amazing... Uh, female-focused uh, VC, it's called Marion Ventures, and, and they have been amazing. Uh, and they have been very active into looking for female-led opportunities and female-led startups. And, uh, but I think they're the exception. I, need, I think VCs need overall to be more active into seeking these female-led uh, companies. Uh, that's my intake. There's lots of efforts that you can, you know, from a year from now that you can start feeling they're being more, more intentional about it. But I think there's still a lot of work to do. I mean, if you look at the, at the numbers, like female led companies are still like, and I might be mistaken, but this is something like 5% of the overall funding that goes for startups in the U.S. So, you know, there's still lots, lots of active work to do.
0: Clearly. Um, you're not from a tech background, even though you have a, a, an innovation management experience, uh, a solid one of that. Uh, do you have any suggestions for people who don't have any prior tech background? Would you still suggest they should try and launch? Because uh, the key question that keeps coming back to us is that I'm not a techie. How can I I love to want to get into the tech ecosystem? I just don't know how. What What would you tell them?
1: Okay, I would tell them, yes, go ahead and launch. But I will also tell them something, which is what I actually do. So my co-founder, Natalie Jill, she is 100% techie. Uh, So if you don't have that background, my suggestion, I think the smartest thing you can do is find a co-founder that does have that background. So in my case with Natalie, it's a great uh, combination because while I have the legal and some, uh, and, and I have the business background, although Natalie also have, uh, has a very broad uh, business background. She's also a highly technical person, and she understands the technology behind blockchain. She's a developer, and she she's actually been named among the most influential Hispanics in technology. So that's a very important thing. Find a partner that has the, you know... And in general, find a partner that has the skills that you don't have. Again, diversity is really important and you have to be really wise about it. So not being a techie is definitely not an obstacle to build and launch a, 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 a successful startup uh, based on, on any new ca- or any kind of technology whatsoever. But find the right co-founder that will be able to fill in the blanks for those things that you lack.
0: Got it. You know, the last section of this podcast is focused on learning and personal productivity. So uh, could you give a sense of how you how do you take time out in a day or a week to learn new things? And uh, what are some things in a week that you do well, productivity wise? And what are some things that you don't do well, what you wish you could do better to get most out of a day (laughs) or a week?
1: Okay, that's a great question. Uh, so, you know, when you, when you are working on, one of the difficulties of, on building your own startup is that you have all the time for yourself and you have to be really disciplined about it. So, and, and that's one of the thing, uh, things I struggled at first because coming from a corporate world, you know, I had a uh, office hours, uh, I had to go to an office, things like that. I would suggest always have a balance on on you know on your work life and on your personal life, definitely you have to put in some exercise like physical exercise into it. For me, that has been the key. I personally, I'm a fan of Muay Thai, which is Thailand uh, Thailand's kickboxing national sport. I love it. It gives me a lot of focus, and it's a great way to challenge myself. You know, I, I lost the fear of of uh, you know receiving and giving punches, <laughs> and that was I think it's. <laughs> besides going to MIT, it's been uh, one of the greatest challenges i've uh, forced myself to take and i love it because it gives you so much focus so i would say find a physical activity that will help you uh, focus all that energy that you're going to have by being by yourself and then working at home find a space to to find a space to to build on yourself to invest on yourself i mean wellness it's a huge aspect of, of, of being a, a, an entrepreneur or enjoying the ride. Uh, I would say find a space at home that's dedicated to 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 work or if you can go to an office, also go to an office. Uh, and also try to, you know, try to set yourself some some working hours. Uh, try to dust in those hours for or make your own schedule. I would say that. Sometimes it's hard to follow. Sometimes you don't differentiate Weekends from work days and it's okay because it, you know, it, it comes and goes in peaks. For example, when we're launching hackathons, uh, Mondays, uh, Sundays, Saturdays, you know, it's the same for us. We have to be on demand for our participants, but you know, it comes and goes. So, but I would say be really disciplined. Discipline is key for this process. Uh, and I've had to do a lot of learning myself. I mean, I'm 41 years old and it takes you know, it's it's really hard sometimes, uh, and I'm putting myself out there. It's really so hard sometimes because you know it's it's up to you. There's no one supervising you or telling you, but the results will will uh, come bite you back if if you don't have an
0: order and a discipline to things. Got it. If you were to give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self and one to your 30 year old self what would you say
1: to my 18 year old self i would say start practicing muay thai <laughs> for real i would say that because the focus i have found in that discipline um, i wish i could have found earlier um i would say to myself like you know don't don't don't, give, don't pay much attention to the limitations that you thought you had that you were taught to have by society, by school teachers, because none of that is real, and it's never too late. So I would say go ahead without any fear. Do whatever. There's no, there is no such thing as limitation of any kind. So don't be afraid and do whatever the hell you want to do.
0: And to your 30-year-old self?
1: Uh, to my 30-year-old self, what would I say to my thirty-year self? Um, save more money. <laughs> That's definitely something I would say to myself. <laughs> now that uh, we're being bootstrapped, I would definitely say, listen, even if you're working at a salary, you never know whether, whenever the uh, entrepreneurship uh, bug is gonna bite you. So, you know, try to try to save some money, whether. You want to build your own stuff later on or you want to invest later on. So that's what I would tell my 30-year-old self.
0: So the last question that we have for you is that if there is one book or one movie or one song that has made an impression on you, could you share what that is? A book, a song, or a movie, or anything that you keep going back to for inspiration or perspective.
1: Oh, that's a, that's a re- well, that's, I think this is the hardest question in the podcast because to pick a book or a movie or, or a, a song it's like picking your favorite child. Let me think about it. Um, a book that inspires me. Hmm. There's so many. Um, uh, well, there's a book that I, I'm actually, uh, and perhaps this is why uh, I'm naming it right now. It's called the Reconnection by Eric Pearl. It, it's a little bit on, on metaphysics, but it talks about limits and uh, and how to focus your um, your 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 attention to to things and how physics and science and religion come together. I don't know if that's Totally related to being inspired in entrepreneurship, but it really no, makes it you think that left
0: It doesn't beyond your boundaries.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would say definitely that book and uh, and 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 music. Oh my God, I love music so much. Um, in a way, because of I mean, it doesn't have any lyrics, but it's all been with me since I've been fifteen years old. I like like uh, it's called Symphony La Pathetic by Tchaikovsky it's been stuck with me since I was like 15 years old and there's of course no lyrics to it but the structure of that composition it's I mean the mood that that sets you in it's I don't know it's been it connects with my with, with me in so many levels uh, so yes that's that's one of the the, the most compelling and haunting. Students I've ever, um, heard, and movie, I actually remember one, it's called, it's not a very well, it's not that popular, it's called a ghost, uh, it's a movie, uh, called a ghost story, and it shows, it's very impactful in terms of how, how mortal, and how, how we're so passing by on this world, it's, it's, it has Rudy Mara and um, Casey Affleck as, as their main characters. I would definitely, definitely, um, that movie shocked me a lot. So I, I highly recommend it, and the soundtrack is, is amazing. So, yes.
0: Silvana, it's been such a delight talking to you. Thank you for your time. This podcast will go, about, go out to 100,000-odd people, and I'm sure they'll all be inspired. We <laughs> <Be> deeply appreciate it. <laughs>
1: Oh, thank you, Utkarsh. It's been a great pleasure. I I can't say how much I'm in love with India. I've been recently there, as you know, we met there, and, you know, India has given me so many things in so many ways that I, I only want to give back, and to anyone that wants to connect with me, uh, I'm more than happy to do so. Uh, we can connect on Instagram, I. I I'll send you later the, uh, my Instagram so so we can connect. I'll be happy to mentor or provide any type of guidance to to thank anyone you. out there. And uh, yes, I only have a big thank you to you and to and to India because I'm absolutely in love with that country and to all the culture and the great food <laughs> that
0: there is to it. So thank you. There's a thriving blockchain ecosystem here, so I'm sure you'll have a lot more food and blockchain often go well together.
1: That would be amazing. I really hope to contribute to the development of the of the blockchain ecosystem in India. And please, you know, anything, anyone out there needs, I'm more than happy to connect. So thank you.
0: Thank you, everyone. We'll host you for a masterclass soon.
1: Absolutely. We'd love to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Talk to
1: you soon. Okay.